You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident finalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So, as I said, uh, today would be another Q&A day, and I think it's going to be. We've got uh, a lot more questions than we have other interesting things to talk about in terms of news and notes and whatnot. If you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, it wasn't just about the contract. I noticed uh, not a huge group of people listened yesterday, so it's just it's just more Q&As. So, if you didn't listen, just go back to yesterday's, play right through today's, and it's just a bunch of Q&As. It sounded real good. Don't want to waste too much time, but um, we do have to cover the injury report. Uh, as always, it's not good. Uh, Montrevious, Tyler Irvin, and Equinemius did not practice. Devante, Jair, Kadar, Lazard, Mercedes, Redmond, J.K. Scott, Shepard, Tanyan, all were limited. That's a lot of people. Um, there's also some growing skepticism that Jair or um, Alan Lazard are going to play, meaning it's not looking great. Um, the I had to think about the Alan Lazard thing because obviously this week is different in terms of they wouldn't activate him, they wouldn't activate him, they wouldn't activate him, and then early this week they're like, boom, let's bring him up. The one thought I had about that, not that I know that this is the case, but it's the one thing that kind of ma- made sense, is that they were basically lying before when they said that he had a chance. They knew he didn't have a chance, so they didn't activate him to the roster. This week they did, not because they know he's going to come back, but because he actually has a chance and they want to get him some practice reps. So they're going to get him out there, go practice him, and then then they'll actually make a game-time decision. Because if you think about it, the guys that are at the bottom of the roster that are taking his spot are not exactly, I mean, they're probably not even on the field. So it's not like there's this really big, like, man, it's going to be a big sacrifice to bring him back if he doesn't play because then we lose this great player. That's not the case. So I'm guessing they brought him back as soon as they actually felt there was a real chance. But it's not as much of a sure thing as we all thought, because we all thought once they got activated, especially early in the week, hey, this is a done deal, right? But I don't know. I guess not. I, but but who knows? How do we know it might not happen based on what the team is saying? Well, why would you believe what the team is saying? They don't want the other team to know, so then they don't want us to know. Because if we know, they know. So I don't know. If he's practicing, there's a chance he plays. Same thing with Jair. A lot of skepticism that uh, he won't be out there. Doesn't mean he won't. Just means that's what all the rumblings are. Whether you want to believe rumblings or not, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, Devontae being hurt isn't that big of a surprise. I'm. It's scary, especially since we know he's missed time, and the fact that we might not have Alan Lazard is, is petrifying because against the Colts, I mean, I just, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know how much of a chance we legitimately have. It's some chance. It's not zero, but it's pretty close if uh, Devontae and Lazard are not going. But we knew, I mean, we knew Devontae was hurt, right? We saw it happen. For the Colts, uh, tight end Trey Burton, tackle Jack Doyle, 
uh, pass rusher Justin Houston, cornerback Kenny Moore, and uh, Carl Willis, the safety, all did not practice. Those are some pretty big names. Um, limited participation, Kimoko Ture, uh, Mo Ali Cox, real big name this year, and uh, Julian Blackman, the safety. So these aren't small things. Uh, Ture and Justin Houston, those are the pass rushers. Kenny Moore is a pretty legit corner. Mo Ali Cox is a real big tight end. Trey Burton's not exactly a slouch, and that's, you know, two tight ends. Although Trey Burton's not injury-related, so he's probably fine. Whatever, I'm just reading it, man. But anyways, as always, make sure you get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Uh, if you like the show, you want to show some support, show some support, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join for as little as a dollar a month. Otherwise, let your friends and family know. Spread the word, all that stuff. All right, let's get started. I'm going to start with this one, even though it's the most recent question. Sorry to all the people that asked questions two days ago. But it's the one that's sitting right in front of my face, and I saw it when I woke up. And I didn't actually save it in my pile of questions, so if I don't answer this, there's a good chance it goes off into Never Never Land. Like most of the questions people ask, sorry about that. Brian says, Question for you. Do you think with all the COVID stuff going on this year, we have an advantage in the draft? In my opinion, I think guys are just going to be all... Excuse me, they're going to be overlooked this year, and the later rounds might have a gem or two. Also, Packers vs. Steelers Super Bowl. All right. Well, first of all, Packers-Steelers are the top of the AFC and NFC, so that's not an unreasonable thought. Packer fans forget that. I think most people forget that. It's like, who are the best two teams, AFC and NFC? Well, probably uh, Chiefs-Tampa. Nope. Steelers-Packers, actually, but thank you. Good try. Actually, not that either. Um, anyways, about the question... Kind of depends. There's there's two things that um, you could consider to be an advantage that wouldn't otherwise be an advantage. Number one is late round advantage, which the Packers would fall into that category, but obviously it only really applies in the uh, first round. Because if we think about it, if, if we think that, um, let's say you had perfect understanding, in other words, you could see into the future, Everything would be in a perfect line. The best players all the way down. There'd be some mix-up in terms of which teams prefer which players. But that would be perfect understanding. The opposite of that is no understanding, which is just a pile of names shuffled up in a box and you walk up and pull a name. What we're doing is moving further from point A, which is perfect understanding. Obviously, we're never there. But we're moving from that direction to the other direction of no understanding. And so the point is, once everybody gets a shot, it's kind of a free-for-all. The, the only real difference about the first round is that there are guys that some teams just will never get a shot at. There's only a handful of players that the Packers had no ability to draft. And so with things being so crazy this year, namely with uh, you know COVID not giving certain people opportunities, maybe kind of making things seem a certain way that they really aren't, and also probably the biggest thing, some of the guys that declared for the draft or just flat-out opted out that it wouldn't have otherwise, there are going to be some people that we assume are very, very good that maybe aren't quite that good. The one example that comes immediately to mind, and it's probably not a great example for a Packers podcast, but Jordan Love. If Jordan Love had opted out of that last season for a COVID year or whatever, he probably would not have been able to be drafted by the Packers. He largely fell because his last year there raised all kinds of red flags. Now, that's not necessarily the case with quarterbacks this year because they are playing right now. Although, if you look at it, there is one quarterback that's flying up the rankings that we did not know about. So, that it works two ways. You got some guys that opted out that we assume are good because they were good before and hopefully that wasn't kind of fluky. We've also got some guys that uh, are not playing either because they opted out or their school is just not playing or whatever. 
that are very, very good, and we just don't know it. So anyways, the the first, the late round advantage will help get possibly that one super elite freak in the first round, or, or at some point, because we don't know who he is or where he is. So instead of having a 0% chance, we have a 1 in 32 chance. Does that make sense? After that, though, the only other advantage is bad GM advantage. If you think Brian Gutekunst is a bad GM, then we have an advantage. If you think he's a good GM, that's a disadvantage. People that are better at gathering information and making informed decisions have less information to use, which kind of levels the playing field a little bit. I tend to think Brian Gutekunst is a slightly above average drafter. Several people would probably disagree with that. Obviously not perfect, just like nobody is perfect. But I think if you really were honest about it and looked at the 32 GMs and what they've done compared to uh, Brian Gutekunst, I think Brian Gutekunst would not be lower than 16th. So from that perspective, I tend to think it's actually somewhat of a disadvantage, although there is information out there. It could actually create kind of this sneaky super advantage, right? When things are super crazy, there might be all different kinds of, of strategies that you employ. As opposed to, you know, everybody basically doing what everybody else is doing. Because most people just, they've learned from everybody else how to do it. Not because they're brilliant innovators, but because they've just learned it. And so they just copy everybody else and they hire a team. And that team goes out and does exactly what teams like that have always done. The scouts and whatnot. And they come back with information and it's basically the same information. But what, what happens when you have to innovate? Then it comes down to who are the innovators. I don't know if that's ever going to actually happen. I don't know if there is going to be some kind of great strategy here that, that's going to make you pull ahead. So I'm just going to stick with the, the idea that it, it kind of just, it's like pulling names from a box. And yeah, that definitely means there's going to be some some uh, some gems later. But really what it means is, if you look at it and say there's going to be like 10 super elite players, you have a 1 in 3 chance of getting one of them at some point. Yes, it's true that there might be this really, really good fifth-round player this year because we just didn't have information on him. That doesn't mean we have a better chance of getting him. So I, I don't necessarily see it as good. I see it as, as interesting and, um, I, I guess, sort of exciting from the standpoint of we have more reason to actually care beyond the third round because it's possible that we're drafting people that should be you know, second-round picks in the sixth round just due to lack of information, and, and that could be a strategy. Right. Once you get into the later rounds, we start looking at people with less information, guys that didn't get to play this year that we thought, you know, maybe at the end of of 2019, they really showed a little something. Or the guys that we said, you know, we expected were going to have big years. Like we, we thought maybe they would take a step because of their, I don't know, their build or something. Let's take a flyer on them. Let's assume their 2020 season really was a blow up and let's draft them in the fifth round. And everybody's going to look at it and say, well, that was dumb. This guy's a terrible college football player. And then he didn't get to play any college football, and now look where we are. It's just it's just gambling, man. I, I, so, no, I, I don't see it as that big of an advantage. I just see it as more interesting. And I think one of the things that's become boring about the draft is everybody basically has the exact same information. And everybody orders their board. And I mean, scouting departments are all, everybody's worked for everybody else. The GMs, the all the way down the line. These guys have worked for a billion different teams, and then, so, you know, this strategy and this strategy and this strategy, they all start to mesh and blend together into one big strategy. And so we get to the point now where if you look at big boards and you say, these are the guys that we like, just talking about media stuff, not actual big board, you say, okay, here are the best players. And then you look at the actual draft, it's like they're pulling from our big boards. Why? Because even the media understands the strategies now, right? Some of the guys that are X 
scouts are now media members. So it's all kind of blended together where nothing's really secretive or exciting anymore. Except for the part where everybody's an idiot and we don't actually know the truth anyways. We love the first round pick. We hated the fourth round pick. And the fourth round pick is, is a top tier player and the first round pick is a bust. A um, couple of back-to-back JJ questions. I've talked a lot about MVS and how... I mean, the, the, the recency bias with Packer fans is kind of crazy. And I've mentioned it several thousand times now. When MVS has a big day, this is it. This is the big tipping point. He's now elite. He's a number two. We should have known this all along. I always knew it. I was always a fan. This guy's great. We don't even need Fuller. We don't need... It's just... It's, it's game over, man. We, we, he finally broke through. My contention is the guy shows up once or twice a year, or, you know, twice or three times a year, and that's it. And that's something. It's not nothing. He does contribute. Had a conversation yesterday about how terrible Brian Gutekunst is for drafting Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and I just listed some names. Asked if he knew who those people were. He said no. The names were the other wide receivers drafted in and around Marquez Valdez-Scantling. The point is, you don't even know their names, because they don't play. They don't contribute. They don't make highlight reels. So I'm not mad about MVS. He's contributing about what you would expect from a pick 174 overall in the draft. Probably more so. But the first question from JJ was, um, and I I actually don't, I didn't write down the exact wording, but it's something to the effect of how many times or has he ever had back-to-back good games? The answer to the question is yes, but that's a bit misleading. It's not really about back-to-back. It's really just about how many games in a season does he contribute. So far this year, and it depends what you're looking at in terms of stats or grades or what, although it kind of doesn't because they match up fairly well. Statistically, he's had maybe you could say three good games. Week one against Minnesota, 96 yards and a touchdown. San Francisco, he only had 53 yards, but he had two touchdowns. And then obviously against Jacksonville, 149 and a touchdown. As far as his PFF grades, which again, look at every single snap and how he performed, not just the three times he catches the football, but what about all the other times he's running around? He's graded out in the 70s once this year. That was against Jacksonville. In uh, 2019, this is a much cleaner one. Um, He graded out well twice. We're talking about twice in 18 games. The stats look good in two games. His two touchdowns came in both of these games. Week three against Denver, 99 yards and a touchdown. Week seven against the Raiders, 133 and a touchdown. It's actually kind of freaky how similar some of this is. He had his 99 yards and a touchdown week three against Denver. He had it this year in week one. 133 yards and a touchdown against Las Vegas. He had that last year. I mean, this year, just last week. He doesn't have a two-touchdown game last year. But he did have a 52-yarder and a 47-yarder, Philadelphia and Chicago. But that was it for him. After week seven, his best game was 19 yards. His highest grade was a 68. His grades after week seven were 45, 49, 55, 52, 56, 54, 36, 68, 54, 60, 58. Then you come to uh, 2018, and the question of has he ever had back-to-back games? Yeah, he actually had three good games in a row. You could even call it five if you wanted to. Starting in week five against Detroit, uh, this is his rookie year. So, I mean, the, the biggest reason you start to feel like there's something here with Marquez, rookie year, week five, 68 yards and a touchdown. Against San Francisco, 103 yards. Against L.A., 45 yards and a touchdown. Against New England, 101 yards and no touchdowns. And then week 10 against Miami, he only had 44 yards, but he graded out 76 overall. In other words, he was doing some good stuff, he just didn't get the ball very often. That's a five-game stretch. Now, his grades were 65, 65, 72, 79, 76. Nothing super elite, and some of them were considered average, but 
before and after that, his grades were 56, 57, 47, 51, 44, 50, 49, 60, 48, 60, 58. He is consistently at like a 60 level with very regularly being, you know, high 50s, 55, 56, 57, a couple 40s mixed in. That's just what he is. His overall grade in 2018 was a 60, thanks to that five-game stretch. In 2019, it was a 57. So far in 2020, it's a 57. He's the most consistently slightly subpar player, I mean, that, that I that I know of. And so the point is, we know what MVS is, and I'm not, I'm not complaining. People see it as complaining. Not every time I'm down on something, I'm complaining about it. I'm just stating a fact. I think we got plenty of value out of a fifth, a, a late, I think last pick in the fifth round. Plenty of value, but we got to find something a little better. It's not just one of two things. It's not either MVS is a freak, he's elite, blah, 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 or we stomp our feet and huff and puff and fire Brian Gutekunst. It doesn't have to be just those two things. We drafted EQ and Jamon Moore around the same time. Jamon Moore is already gone. EQ we haven't seen very much of because he's been injured since forever. I think the last time we saw him in 2018, he looked really promising. But, you know, at this point, as we get closer and closer to you not having a job, i.e. your contract expiring, I think we have him next year as well. Whether or not we keep him, I don't know. It's going to largely depend on whether we start taking some swings at wide receiver, which, as I said yesterday, is probably a good idea. Because what happens is, if we don't pick up any wide receivers in the next couple years, when it comes time to signing guys to contracts, guys like MVS are going to stay. And you get into this Robert Tanyan, Richard Rogers situation where you really would like to move on because they're not doing good enough, but we don't have anybody else that's better because we haven't taken any serious strides in replacing them, so they just stay forever. Guys should have been gone a long time ago, but they're just never gone. I'd rather not get into that cycle. I'd like to start looking for some better wide receiver options, but that's just me. Actually, it's not at all. So that answers that question. Yes, they've been lumped together, but generally you're getting maybe three good games out of the guy. We had three so far this year. I don't anticipate any more, although who knows? Seems like he's got a little bit. I mean, we're only halfway through this. Well, we're a little bit more than halfway. But uh, he's surpassed last year's total yardage by three yards already and two touchdowns. Thanks in part to his 21 yards per reception, which is just absurd. I actually think I'm going to skip the other JJ question because I want to take a little bit more time to look at that. Um, let's go with Joe uh, on the in the Facebook group. It says, do you think mental health due to the state of our country with COVID is any reason to play without passion? He adds, they're waking, making way too much money for that, but it's just a thought. So first of all, although I use the line all the time, I think the way too much money thing is maybe a little bit overplayed. Mostly because it's just a moral argument. And, and to Joe's point, it's kind of, I know that they make too much, but it's still a question, and that's exactly the case. right? It's kind of like, I don't pay you to check your phone at work, but you know you do it. Morally, should you be sitting there texting or you know looking at TikToks or whatever? Probably not. I mean, during your lunch break, during your break, whatever, yeah, fine. All right, so based on how much money you make, yeah, I mean, based on how much money they make, they should just live football. But of course they don't. They have other lives. They've already signed the contract. They're going to do what they're going to do. Also, I don't know if mental health necessarily should come into the conversation. You make way too much money to have mental health issues. But anyways, looking beyond that, the only issue that I have with it, although it's absolutely a concern, um, it is depressing, and I don't think it's going to get any easier, considering the holidays are basically canceled. And so you got these guys that aren't allowed to go home during break and see their families, um, who are now being told, I'm sure, by the NFL, do not go to any Christmas parties, any Thanksgiving parties, any of the, this or that kind of stuff. And when you couple that with other hardships, um, 
you know, people have lost friends, they've lost family members, they're lonely, they miss their kids, they miss their, you know, it's just, it's just a lonely time, and now it's, well, now you, you can't go to Thanksgiving and see people, you can't be around grandma. You know, I mean, you just, just from my own life, I just lost my grandpa, and now I'm being told I can't go see my grandma. We can take that lightly and just be, oh, what's the big deal if you want? There's no question this is a big deal. So yeah, guys are suffering, just like everybody else is suffering. This is a miserable time to be alive. The only issue I have with the logical aspect of this is that you would expect everything to happen kind of in unison. In other words, if the argument is this is why defenses aren't doing well, that doesn't make sense. Now, if you're saying is this possibly the reason why a guy like Kenny Clark could be having it, yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to I'm not going to step over that line and make that accusation. I'm not going to do that. However, I will step over that line a little bit and provide one example, Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy was an extremely talented guy that had mental health issues. He said when we drafted him, he has severe issues with depression. I think it was, what, Katrina? He grew up in that area era during that time of Hurricane Katrina. He said it just messed him up. And uh, you'd see the up and down play. Obviously, he struggled with his weight, and everybody kind of made fun of him for it. But I, I just always assumed that kind of went hand in hand. He just had some struggles. And you could sometimes see it on the football field. Again, I'm not going to prod and, and poke into Kenny in particular, but is it possible that there are certain people who are just struggling mentally to focus on football at this particular point in time? Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things. If you, if you struggle with depression, anxiety, that kind of stuff, this is going to make it a lot worse for you. If you, if you depend very heavily on family, this is going to be very hard for you. If you're an emotionless, introvert, psychopath like I am, you, you manage. I'm not, I'm not really a psychopath, but I, I am extremely introverted, so, you know, I'm, I'm making do. So, yeah, to, to answer your question, and to be honest, it's kind of ridiculous that it hasn't even really been brought up, probably because it's a little bit of a, a taboo subject, but it is possible, and, I, and I'm not going to, to, and I'm not picking on you, Joe, I'm just, I'm, I'm not personally going to jump over the line and say, well, you make too much money, suck it up, if we're talking about things like severe depression. Because, I mean, that's not really a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of thing. I mean, it kind of can be. I went through it in high school, started going on a diet and exercising, and just it's amazing how much that helped. I know that's not the case for everybody, but just saying it can be. I'm guessing for pro athletes, if you're struggling, it's not because of a lack of physical exercise. So, yes, to answer the question. I'm not going to just blanket that over everybody and, and say that's why you can't critique them. I'm just I'm doing what I'm going to do. If guys are playing bad, I'm saying you're playing bad, you got to do better. If you're a football player and you listen to this podcast and you have depression, just disregard any issues that I'm saying you're having. Just just go get it taken care of. But I'm going to keep saying it. I'm not just going to assume everybody has mental issues and then just be nice all the time. That would be the worst podcast ever. Well, it wasn't a great game, but we don't know what he's going through, so we love him, and we just want him to be happy. doesn't matter if he plays well. Just do your best, big guy. No, this, this, no I'm not doing that. I think uh, to end this before the break, I'm going to give you a comment from Richard. It's not a question, but he says, I like where we're at. The younger players are hanging tough and growing. A little more health and getting the intensity level up. Green Bay is right there in the running for a Super Bowl. I, I generally agree. That's more or less what I've been saying. But just, just envision if things continue just in terms of, uh, like I mentioned, Kiki and Montrevious are actually doing a decent job stopping the run. Kenny is doing a pretty good job at stopping the run. We do need a little bit more pass rush on the interior but let's just imagine for a moment that Zadarius keeps up this level of play and Rashawn keeps up this level of play and we actually have a decent pass rush we don't really need to change all that much I mean the offense needs to stop falling off a cliff uh, that was sort of the intensity comes in but we've got the offense we've got 
a decent defensive line to at least not be a pathetic run defense. We have pass rush. We have the number one corner in football. Uh, Amos has been showing up quite a bit. I mean, he's he's waking up. There's not much we're lacking. I mean, you can point to, well, what about this guy? He's no good. Of course you can do that. You can do that with every team. The point is, though, as far as not having dire issues, like not having a pass rush is dire. But if we have it, that's pretty awesome. And you think about how much that changes things, how much that really changes the dynamic of this team. Um, so, yeah, to your point, a, a couple tweaks and what those tweaks might be and to what degree can vary. And I don't think it's realistic to say no more having bad days because that's not a thing. But uh, a little bit more consistency would be nice. You know, I, I point to the Chiefs because, unfortunately, they are kind of the gold standard. They don't have good days all the time, but they don't have just, like, putrid, wet-the-bed nonsense days where it's like they just didn't show up. As I said, since Pat Mahomes took over, eight points is the worst they've lost ever. And that was this year against the Raiders. And nobody even bats an eye at that game. They don't get blown out because they don't they don't completely fall apart. They have bad right, that's not up to the Chiefs standards to lose to the Raiders, so that is a bad day. But that's not like this team is the worst team I've ever seen in my life kind of bad day. Like like a lot of other teams have, including the Packers. Anyways, again, we're gonna take a break real quick. We'll come back with a couple other thoughts, questions, comments, uh, critiques, maybe, I don't know. Recipes. It's a surprise. Never know. Be right back. MyBookie.ag. This, I mean, the the website is just kind of overwhelming. There's so much here. They've got the sports book where you can find, you know, you've got all the the betting lines and everything else. You got NFL, NCAA. That you can bet on the MMA, golf, tennis, boxing, motorsports, uh, college basketball, soccer, NHL, MLB, baseball, basketball. Wait a minute, MLB and baseball. That must be like foreign baseball. Uh, international hockey, U.S. politics. I wonder what they got for politics these days. I don't even know. Oh, you can bet on the 2024 election. Ao, you can bet on table tennis, horse racing, rugby, e-sport, which I would laugh at, but that's like the biggest sports in the world these days. Uh, Aussie rules football. You can bet on the weather. Um, bet on global warming. <laughs> you can bet on ocean temperatures. Uh, land ocean temp index reaches a new 10-year low. Yes or no? What will the land ocean temp index be for 2020? What will the CO2 measurement be for November 2020? Over 418 parts per million? I don't know, man. They're they're just reaching out to every demographic for betting. The kinds of people that would bet on this are the kinds of people that you would never expect at a MyBookie type website. There's like a group of guys in a lab somewhere that have stopped playing Dungeons and Dragons during their lunch break and have started going to MyBookie to bet on uh, the... CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. Amazing. Um, Something for the ladies out there. Celebrity divorce odds. Reality TV betting. Academy Awards odds. I don't think anybody watches that. Well, some people do. Maybe actors can bet on themselves. Um, If you're looking for a little bit of dark betting, they got death bets for uh, people. I feel bad uh, even listing the names, but uh, who will die first, you know? I hate looking at it because it's like, wait a minute. Why? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin. There's a there's a bet for you. You can bet on chess, darts, volleyball, cricket, cycling, religion, and special wagers. We haven't gotten to the special ones yet? All right, which organization is going to send humans to Mars first? SpaceX is uh, leading the way on that one. Anyways, they got all that. That's just the sports book. They've also got live betting, and uh, they've got a full casino platform now. So check out mybookie.ag. Make sure you use promo code OVERTIME when you sign up. They're going to match your deposit halfway. Go have some fun, win some money, you know the deal. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So we'll kick it off with a comment from Nico. He says, I almost just want to toss out the defensive play this year, something about 2020. There's no question about that. I mean, there just, there just can't be a question about it at this point defenses seem to thrive on crowd noise and and just from a from a standpoint not even just motivation which clearly seems to be a thing as well just from the standpoint of offensive efficiency how much of good defenses is really just offenses doing a bad job because they can't hear anything i know that only plays uh you know away but again and defenses do seem to be getting better right they're they're starting to pick up a little bit of steam but again as i've pointed out even if you just look at pff which again really just pits one side against the other the shift from how much better offenses are than defenses is staggering. Even at this point, and I know early on it was like there was one team in the 70s. Now we've got four teams in the 70s, one in the 80s. That's it. That's it. Pittsburgh's overall defensive grade is an 83.5. To put that into context, which is another thing that's pretty staggering, 28 out of 32 teams are in the 70s offensively. The only teams that are not currently in the positive offensively uh, and, and they are relatively positive, actually. Actually, only one team is below a 60, and that's the New York Jets, and it's a 58.7. The Jaguars are a 66. The Panthers are 66.2. Dallas is a 67.9. To put that into context, last year, there were 18 teams 70 or above defensively. Seven teams 80s or above defensively. The San Francisco 49ers were an 89.7, basically a 90. The Pittsburgh Steelers, 91 overall defense. In 2018, when the Bears were an elite defense, you had uh, the Rams were an 89, the Houston Texans were an 89.9, the Patriots were a 90.1, the Chicago Bears were a 93 overall. There were also 15 teams, basically half the league were 80s and above defensively, 26 teams 
70 and above defensively. So 2018, obviously, defenses were better than offenses, but um, even even that wasn't skewed quite as badly. You had the Rams who were in 90 overall. The Chiefs were in 89 overall. We're talking offensively. Six teams were 80s or above. So, I mean, it's it's wildly uncharacteristic how few teams have been able to pull together dominant defense. I mean, nobody really has been dominant. If you took the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, just based on PFF grade, and put them in 2018, they would be ninth. Basically tucked right in with, uh, let's see, right behind the Jaguars, 83-5, just barely ahead of the Titans and Vikings, who in 2018 were at 83-3. The Broncos were 82-5. The Jets were 82-2. The Bills were 81-7. The Steelers were 81-1. Cowboys were 80.5. I mean, they're all right in that range. And again, that's just the, the top team. The number two team is a 74-8, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In 2018, 74.8 was the Cincinnati Bengals, who were 23rd in defense. The Packers were 24th with a 74.1. Think about that. The 2018 Packers, 24th in the NFL, had the same grade almost as the number two overall defense this year. That's not to say they're as good. Remember, it's, it, it's different how it works out that way. But it's still just staggering. And and regardless of what we want to blame it on, the, the one real benefit is the belief that there's going to be a bounce back once this all kind of gets sorted out. I don't know when it's going to happen, but assuming it does, the defensive play should bounce back. And and, and it may already be starting to take hold. Um, you know, the fact that we're seeing teams start to climb means you're starting to see better and better defensive performances, right? For Even the, the Packers offensive start, there's, there's a real good possibility that the reason this is the best Packers offense we've seen in the history of the universe is because this is some of the worst defensive play we've seen ever. Granted, you know, it wasn't that way for every team. Not every team had their best offensive performance ever, but it was a nice little perfect storm. And now as we start to see hiccups from the Packers, it's because defenses are slowly starting to wake up a little bit. I mean, just look at the Packers, for example. They had their first good game defensively was against Houston. Their second one came against Jacksonville. Oh, they were terrible against... I I hate to repeat myself, but can, can somebody explain to me why we hate the defense because of the Jacksonville game. They scored 13 points against our defense. 13. 20 overall, but 7 was on special teams. That wasn't the defense. Not saying it was an elite performance, but it's, you know, could have been a little worse, I think. So, you know, granted, the worst two games of the season came sandwiched in between against the Vikings and the 49ers, but you're starting to see kind of, you know, kind of the lights flickering on a little bit. Starting to get a little bit of a rhythm back. And, um... (laughs) Again, the wrestling thing is just weird, but I'm uh, trying to think of an analogy. It's kind of, you know, sometimes in wrestling when guys all kind of like knock each other out. I don't know, they're trying to get to the belt or something, and everybody just gets knocked out. And you see guys slowly start to wake up, and you're like, dude, you need to hurry up and wake up, because if you don't, the other guy's going to get up and grab. Kind of the exact same thing. The Packers need to get up quickly, because all the other defenses are starting to wake up. So kind of kind of just cheering them on a little bit. Let's go. Keep Stay up now. Again, the... the the best defensive performance was followed immediately by the Packers' worst defensive performance, the Texans and then the Vikings. So we're hoping that doesn't happen. But yeah, uh, in in general, I'm not... I mean, the only reason we have to take it seriously because it, it is 2020 right now. Right? We can't throw it away because it's it's our defense for the year. But in terms of Kenny's trash, Zedarius's trash, you know, in, in general terms, no. Something is wrong. And, and, and maybe you look at that and say that's why you don't fire Pettin. Maybe. Right, let's let's see what happens next year when things kind of get back together, maybe, probably, possibly, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's no question that defenses have been massively impacted 
by 2020 in a way that offenses are not, which is pretty interesting. Anyways, I'd like to do more, um, but again, I am out of time. If I trusted that I could answer a question in like three minutes, I would do it, but I don't. I'm not sure I can even do a uh, little outro here in three minutes. So, Anyways, I'm cutting it off. Do have Thursday night football today. Pretty impactful game. Don't really care who wins or loses. Just kind of glad one of them has to lose. But enjoy your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.